Hello and welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast. This is a place where we share how love can transform negative emotions and pain into strength. We talk about all things related to love, positivity, and kindness. And I am your host, Corinne Kamara. Welcome to episode 21, From Sexual Assault to Living a Magical Life. Amelia Zachary is a writer, storyteller, and advocate. She has lived her life rife with pain and struggles from rape and bipolar disorder. Amelia is writing a memoir of her chaotic and magical life. She is part of the conversations that normalizes mental illness and turns rape victim blaming into a taboo. Amelia wants to share a story where pain and suffering were only part of the journey to a beautiful, magnificent life where she is present and fully living. In this conversation, Amelia shares her journey of perseverance and how self-love helped her navigate her journey into wholeness. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, welcome to the Infinite Love Podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Amelia. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Corinne, for having me. Nice. So welcome to the podcast. And as usual, we talk about all things love. And I always like to start the podcast with talking about a love lesson, like what happened to you in your life that brought you to a place of deep pain, deep surrender, or a place that you found that you needed to transform what was going inside you so you can pull yourself out of it and at the same time help others heal as well. Thank you. I'm very excited because I am a writer and a blogger now. And I'm writing a memoir about my chaotic and magical life through post-trauma processing and bipolar disorder and a life after rape. So I've had trauma in my past that triggered my mental illness. And though it was a painful and difficult journey, I'm here today. And I want to share with everybody the love story that brought me to where I am. Thank you. Um, So tell, tell us, I mean, it's a very, it's a very painful topic talking about mental health and rape. And I feel like it's a subject that so many people can relate to. So thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing such a deep topic today. I think it's an important one. I think it's an important one too, is why I started talking about it because I feel I want, I mean, I'm not the first person who's talking about it yet. So I want to be part of the conversation that normalizes mental illness, that moves away from rape culture and victim blaming. And I want to focus on healing and growth on both ends. And so as I've learned, pain and trauma can be very tricky. It makes you believe many things that aren't serving you that's beneficial um, as any beneficial purpose. And it's hard to see through the thick of the pain. But I believe there is a way and I believe that people around us have a role to play in that too. And so I'd like to dig into that today. Nice. So tell us how old were you when you were raped? I was 19 years old okay. and ha- I was having a fun time with my friends. And next thing I knew, I was waking up um, in a foreign place I didn't recognize. And I was um, then found uh, proof of violation on my body. Wow. And so I had nowhere to turn. And I guess at 19 and having friends around the same age, everyone's as stupid as you are. 
and no one had any wisdom to share and people were mean and I was ostracized. I became a pariah overnight for something that supposedly I did and which made me believe that I did do to deserve what happened to me. Right. And I believe that I wasn't smart enough. I should have I should have been smart enough. I should have worn what I worn. I should have gone where I went. I shouldn't have drank. And all these ideas of self-blame were self-inflicted and inflicted by the people around me because of that culture around rape. And the intense trauma from that isolation I felt from that brought on, I believe brought on the bipolar disorder. Yeah, I'm so sorry. That's it's it's very challenging to go through something like that and having no support around you. So when you discovered that you were bipolar and your life started to go downhill, who did you turn to for support? I did not. So I did not find out that I had bipolar till about seven years later. Okay. And so seven years later, when I started, I started um, receiving treatment was when I received my diagnosis and treatment was when I retrospectively understood my behavior, Mm -hmm. my self-destructive behavior and suicidal ideation and all these things were tied to my bipolar disorder. Got it. And so when I found out there was a huge leap into understanding what it meant and what it would mean for my life from then on. Because in my case, um, my doctors do not believe that it is something that I am going to be able to be treated out of, to be cured per se, but it's something that I manage and and I live through every day. Right. I mean, trauma creates such a schism in your life that it's like like pre and post, you become a totally different person. So absolutely, it's like when you, and also when you decide to start to heal from that moment, you also become a different person, right? Because now you're starting to take control of your life and to really not look at yourself as a victim, but more as like, how can I take this experience and go deeper and become a better human? Absolutely. Like um, bipolar disorder, I found like when I first found out I had that, it wasn't an easy realization or a switch, you would say, like a pivot point. It was a very slow pivot Mm -hmm. from accepting that you had mental illness in the first place. Because that's a very difficult thing to understand as well with the stigma around mental illness. And so I think the hardest part in my journey was recognizing that I had it. And I was very blessed. I was surrounded by people who were supportive, who tried to understand with me. It was frustrating and it's tiresome to try and tell someone to snap out of it or pull up, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can do this. Like all you have to do is this, this, and this, and this, right? Right. But the reality is my reality was a reality and that no one, nobody else understood. But I was blessed that I had people around me who loved me enough to support me and held my hand through the treatment, through getting the treatment in the first place and then going through the treatment. And I feel like with that love, I, I found realization and acceptance in where I was. Now, the rape I did not actually understand or accept until very recently. Oh, wow. It took me, al- it took me almost 20 years to accept that it was something that happened to me, that it was a violation. That, too, I believe was through love and guidance from people around me who were, who were 
persistent with their love and affection and affirmations of how um, that helped me heal. They were encouraging for me to heal and grow from it, which then brought me to a place of peace and understanding that I was able to accept right. that it was a violation and it wasn't part of who I was. Absolutely. So when you when you say that you recently came to a place of accepting the rape, what was your process? Like, did you find self-love to be helpful, self-forgiveness? Like, did you go into how, like, what was your process around it? So I have two children now. I have two girls. Yeah. And that whole experience of mothering them made me realize how important it was to talk about these things. I can protect them from a lot of things. I can give them guidance, I can give them rules, do's and don'ts, but in all honesty, I will not be there to protect them 24-7 all of their lives in their adulthood and like their whole entire life. So all I know was that if I could impart the wisdom on them for them to be able to take with them and to be a safe place for them to come back to should anything happen. I mean, not that I want it to happen, but if anything should happen, I want them to be able to come to a place of healing faster than I did. And so that was a catalyst. That was a huge catalyst for me to start thinking about it. And I, I meditate a lot. I connect with nature and I go out in nature and I find myself and I find, I find peace in being a small being in this huge universe. And I a realization came that I was a part of this huge thing and I didn't know what my purpose was, but I was here. I'm here mm-hmm. throughout all the suicidal attempts or ideation and all those things that I've tried to do to myself. I am still here. And now I've been given these two beautiful children and I feel like there is a higher purpose. I don't know what it is, but I'm at peace not knowing what it is, but I'm at peace knowing that there is a purpose and that, I am pure and I am whole and I am full as I was supposed to be, as I was meant to be from the start. That's beautiful. And it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. And I think that, I mean, that sounds wonderful. I think mothers should really inform their daughters in a loving way about the dangers and the the pluses and minuses of all that sexual interaction. I think it's so important. Like my mom never really did. She just told me to fear it. No. And, yeah. I think and, it was a different generation. You yes. had a different, yeah, different yeah. dialogue when it came to those things. And also my mom's religious. So there's also the religious aspect where my mom was very much like men are predators, essentially, like at any moment, something could happen. And... But isn't that the, con- I, I, I love that you said that because isn't that the conversation also that we need to change right. responsibility when things like this happen do not fall only on the victim for right. asking for it. Right. Right. So right. we need to raise our boys to be better. Right. And I feel like it's interesting because a lot of the times the blame isn't just women, men blaming women, but women blaming women for yes, their behavior. Absolutely. And it's the women that raise the boys, you know, we, you know, we raise the boys and I feel like under teaching boys when they're young about the, how to respect women can fall on women. So I think women are, play a huge responsibility to shifting that narrative with their young boys. 
I think this whole conversation that we're talking about all surrounds the topic of love. If we understand how to love ourselves, then we can teach our children how to love themselves and people around them. And then respect comes secondary. Right. I feel if you are able to love other people entirely, Mm -hmm. truly love people, like those things become a non-concern. Right. Because you would never think to harm anyone. Right. Because it's like if you truly love yourself, you won't want to cause pain to others. I think the people that cause the most destruction in the planet don't necessarily love themselves. They have a pure self-hatred and then they move from yeah. that place. Um, I'm sure that's not true for It's everyone. an inner turmoil. Right. Yeah. So I'm in pain, so everyone's going to be in pain too. Um, where the opposite is totally true. Like if you're in, in a state of bliss and love, then everyone else can also be in a state of bliss by change. You, know, you emanate people. that. I think... Right. I think when you're feeling those things, you emanate that wherever you go and then that transfers to people around you. And yeah. I think that's how I, I, I receive that kind of love from people around me, mm-hmm. them not knowing what they were doing, but right. just pure kindness. Yeah. I write in this blog a story about when I was in Canada, we had just arrived a few, about four months in, I think, and I was depressed terribly depressed. I was suicidal. I was tired of being in a place that I didn't know anybody and I didn't I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't belong. And it was just me and my boyfriend then, now my husband. It was just the two of us and we didn't know anybody. And this old lady comes over to my doorstep and knocks on the doorstep and says, you know, like, welcome to Canada. And she has this box of tarts for me. Oh, that's so sweet. And, and then and then she holds me and she tells me, she says like, oh, you know, I'm just down the road. If you ever need anything, you know, you know, you know, I'm right here. And I opened that box of tarts and she really meant it. Her name and her phone number was in there. But it's those little like so inconsequential to her. Right. But it was immense for me because it, it came at the time where I needed it. I needed love. I was not feeling loved. I was feeling so alone in the world. Right. And she came and she gave me that. And I think people don't, I think it's it's understated how much these little things mean to a lot of people because you don't know what other people are going through. Right. And I, you know, those are those moments where I call those like, like little miracles from God or like little messages from God, because you're in those moments of deep despair and then you're like praying to God to help. And then somebody knocks on the door and yeah. gives you tarts. And sometimes people don't put the connection between yeah. like divine forces. Like people are there to support you. Yeah. Like people that are in this life and beyond, but there's so we have so much support and sometimes we just don't see it. And that's And that's what I meant when I said that I realized that I am one piece right. of this huge, vast universe. We are all connected in some way. And it's just like somehow if you meet somebody also, something I've heard from a friend a long time ago, and he was from some religion called Tian Tao, and they, be- they are in a very Zen way of living. And he told me from what they believe, all our relationships, all our relationships are based on a past, um, a deeper relationship that we've had in the past. So if you were brushing shoulders with somebody, you're so lucky to meet somebody. So how special and fortunate are we how precious is this relationship that you and I have now that is deeper that we sit here and have conversation. We must have been in deep, deep, deep relationship in the past. That's and I really, find that so 
beautiful. That's so interesting and beautiful to think about because it's so true. I mean, there's billions of people in the world. Like, why do you connect to certain people and not others? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And so I go by that and I, and I found a lot of kindness like that in the people in the restaurant or um, the chocolate store we go to, we have a little friend there, Miss Sherry, who is my children's little grandma. <laughs> they, they made a, they had a friendship with her and she'd give her, she'd give them free chocolates and they'd stand there and sh share with her. And now whenever she gets prizes at school, she wants to go over to the chocolate store to show Miss Sherry. Aww. And like those kind of relationships that we build out of this randomness, this random act of kindness. There's no reason that she needed to be kind to us but she was. And yeah. so those kind of things helped me get through my day and helped me heal, helped me grow and understand. It's made a lot easier. I think when there's this eye opening where I'm living a life of gratitude, I'm open to receiving right. than I ever was. Yeah. I and think the healing begins when I can receive. Absolutely. And I think that's like a big part of healing is opening up your eyes to receiving but also like recognizing those moments because i think if we're always focusing on the negative then all we see is negative and the world is so painful yeah. i think it's so important to just focus on the positive like the positive things that happen every day and be grateful for them because the gratitude helps you to get to you to attract more positive yes. outlooks and positive experiences for sure well my friends say there are no wrong cards ah this this idea of like, there are no wrong cards. You are dealt the card that you're dealt. There's no bad. There's no good. It just is. Yeah. And this it's is how what it's supposed to be. This is where we are. Right. And it's how yeah. you respond to it. Right. So even whatever yes. the card yeah. is, your reaction is your reality. So even if it's dealt a yes. quote unquote bad card, like a rape or yeah. sexual assault, it's how you yeah. react, how you turn the page and how you make it a positive experience. I mean, you're a pure example of that, like something horrific happened to you and you were able to take the positive from this experience. And it's not something that goes away. Like it's not to say that today the rape happened almost 20 years ago and today I am free of it and mm -hmm. I don't think about it. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't upset me. What I'm saying is that we carry that pain. I carry that pain with me, and I think it reminds me of the strength and power it took for me to get here. Right. All the all the strife that I had to overcome in order for me to be here. And now that I'm here, I think I guard this deeply because yeah. I am not willing to slip back into where it was before. I don't think I, I don't even know if I could slip back into there now realizing what life can be. Yeah, it's true. I mean, absolutely. Once you're able to overcome something like that, the pos the positive joys and the miracles definitely outweigh the negative. And also, it just doesn't feel good. Like, I was depressed for years. It just, it doesn't feel good when you feel like the world is against you and everything's heavy and, and thinking about yeah. dying all the time. It's just hard to live. It's hard to enjoy life when you're in that constant state of turmoil. There is no enjoyment of life in that state. Yeah. Right. So like from my experience, whenever I was depressed, I was, I feel worthless and I, and it's a struggle with my family now, even with my husband, mm -hmm. I'm so blessed. My husband is, has been through it with me. He's been to treatment with me. He's been through, been supportive of all my 
escapades to get better, oh, that's <laughs> to feel better and to feel myself. And so we still struggle with it. And I, I bipolar is not, is environmental and it is biological. Mm-hmm. So I can do my best to make sure of, um, the environmental part is balanced so that that part I can take charge of. So that part I do and the biological part I cannot. So when it does happen, it does happen. But hopefully being able to be in balance, I can I can come out of it faster or it doesn't dip too low or go up too high. Right. And so my my family lives with this and we live around the mental illness so this is where I say it's a love story. It's a love story of my children for me, mm-hmm. of my husband for me, where everyone's willing to take a step, take a side step, knowing that I'm not well. In this, in in the episode, they know that I'm not well. They take a side step, and my children take charge. My husband takes charge, and life goes on. Right. And al- allowing me to heal, allowing me time for me to get through my episode and heal. There isn't this sense of. Um, them expect there's no expectation of me to get better you need to get better because like all you have to do is this and that because you need to get better I never I never get that from my husband I'm and I'm thankful for that because I know a lot of people who don't get that kind of support or who can't get this kind of support so I can only speak from my experience but my children my beautiful children they are six and four they make their own breakfast, they can make their own lunch, they can make me lunch, <laughs> they take their own shower, they, they do all the things when I'm not well, without bothering me, because they understand. And I'm growing children, I, I know it sounds, sometimes it sounds irresponsible, or it sounds a little um, neglectful or something. But I think this is the way our family is. And this is the way our family has to be because they're living with somebody who has mental illness that I cannot help. Right. I'm already doing everything I need to do and I can't help it. And this is the way our, our family has to operate. And my children are learning a great lesson in empathy, in love and kindness, generosity. And I'm so proud of them for all of that. Yes. And self-sufficiency. Like, I think it's important yes. to also teach kids like how to take care of themselves and what that looks like, because yeah. the fact that you are understanding what your self-care is, like you're giving them an example so they have the permission themselves to, to do self-care if they need. Because I think that's also a valuable point. Absolutely. And they are learning that mental illness is an illness. Just like any other, mental con- any other medical condition. If you broke your hip and couldn't get around, you'd be in bed and everyone else would sidestep to help you out. But somehow when I'm immobilized and paralyzed when I'm having an episode... I impose the expectation on myself to not be able to do that. I need to get out. I need to do things. And that just exacerbates the point of not being able to get better or feel better because I'm stressed out about making everybody else around me feel better. Right. And that doesn't help. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And so I I was very excited to come on today because I want people to know this, that love is so, so, so important in healing and love yeah. and understanding and empathy is so important in healing any kind of mental illness really right. just being able yeah. to see it as as something that requires assistance yeah and i feel like love isn't is um there's so much compassion when you love someone 
you know, and when you're working with someone that needs support, I don't know how you could do it if, if, if there's no love. I mean, that's kind of the glue that makes it all work. And I feel like people with mental illness need so much love and support because it's hard. It's a hard, it's a hard, um, it's a hard karma to have for sure. It is. And to love unconditionally. Right. That's, that's something that I've experienced from my friends. I, friends I have few because it's very hard to forge relationships when I'm in this state of anxiety at all times. Mm -hmm. So I am challenging people around me to prove to me that they actually want me in their lives because I don't feel worthy. Mm. I don't usually feel worthy of love or worthy of their friendship or any relationship. So I have few friends who have, um, who have won those battles and who stuck around. But what I, when I ponder and think about, contemplate about our relationship and what it has done in my life, their love is unconditional and they're doing, they're doing it simply to be kind, mm -hmm. simply to be encouraging and kind. Because you see a lot of things where um, people do things with, uh, with, with the good intentions, right? right. I want, I'm going to help you because you need help. But if I help you, therefore, you should be doing what I think you should be doing. Yeah. It doesn't really work well with mental illness. It doesn't. Or if you, would, if you would just do all the things that I tell you to do, you would be better. Or you get, you get, somebody gets to a point where they're to a point in their healing or recovery, and then people think that they're okay and like, well, now you're fine. So now, now you can do everything you want to do or anything you should be doing. And all those things are misconceptions. I believe they're misconceptions because in my experience, all those things were not helpful. Sometimes they, I had people help me through to a point and then a threshold where I, am, I think I might be ready, but I don't, think, I don't know if I am. And then they let go. And then I fall right back into the pits. Right. It's... Because I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're going to love I make this sound overwhelming for people who want to help. <laughs> really, it is just, really, it is loving unconditionally. Just finding that love in you and unconditionally loving somebody who needs it. And love costs nothing. Yes, with no judgment, just purely yes. here. And I also think one of the things that I feel like is helpful to, is to love someone but not try to fix them. I mean, I yes. learned I learned that lesson. I did a vol I volunteered for hospice, and as a healthcare provider, as an acupuncturist, I always want to fix people. Like I see something, and I want to fix it, and that taught me a lot of just a, a large lesson of just what it means to be present, presence with to just be present, with somebody, to just be with someone, just to love them, send them love, and just be there, totally open, and just wait yeah. for them to reach out for what they need. And I found that to be so powerful that it's not always about fixing. It's not about doing anything. It's just about no. purely just loving someone for sure. So yeah. let's get into um, the infinite love questions. Oh, um, the infinite love questions. <laughs> so how do you use love in your work? So my work writing my memoir is an outpouring of love into the pages. 
And I want this book to be something where people can learn about the conditions of others who suffer like me and be able to understand, come from a place of understanding and offer love to people whom they know are suffering from it. And I want the people who are suffering from it, like me, to understand that self-love is still available to us and that there is a way to, there is a way to find that self-love. And so I think the whole thing is a love story. Mm-hmm. And how you fell in love with yourself and how you were able to transform your life yeah. using love. And only after I, only after I had found self-love was I able to then truly give to my children, to my husband. And I mean, I know that's a cliche. If you love yourself, then you can love other people. But there is a different sense when you really accept it and understand it and live it. It was like an aha moment for me when I realized that I am worthy. I am worth something. And I I love all these things that I can do. And I love myself. And then my love came pouring. And that's when like this book came along. That's beautiful. And it's, I mean, and you're right. I think a lot of times self-love sounds really easy and it sounds cheesy. They're like, oh, self-love, self-love. But it actually takes a lot of work to love yourself, especially when you feel worthless or you were raised to not feel good enough. Or there's so many reasons why people don't love themselves. And it's yeah. simple in words, but it takes a lot of courage to actually fall in love with who you are. Yeah, for 20 years, I felt like I was disgusting and I was not worthy of anything, right. you know, to, so to find that understanding that I was not. And it was, it was my self-imposed ideas and cultural ideas that made me believe what I believed. So finding self-love is a struggle and a, and a worthy struggle. It is. Yeah, for sure. How do you feel your work is used to serve humanity? Hmm. I guess this book is going to, like I said, like normalize mental illness and help us move away from rape culture, from the culture of blaming and killing women. Really, right. this is what the, this is what it did. It killed the me that who who used to be. Instead of healing a wound, it killed the entire self, sense of self, and so I would like to be part of that conversation that changes all those um, stigma and taboo around rape and mental illness. Yeah. And what does it mean for you to be a positive force of goodness in the world? It feels like that is the card I am dealt. There are no (laughs) wrong cards. Maybe perhaps this is where I am meant to be and this is what I do. If it is the higher purpose and it serves, it serves others, then that, serves me well. Right. Yes. And what do you love most about your life? My life? I love that I am able to spend time with my children while being inspired. They inspire me every day. And as a writer, I look at blank pages and watching my children, I learned so many lessons in life and I, I ponder a lot of lessons in life and I find the words fall on the pages. And I love that, that my life is inspirational. That's beautiful. How do you feel you receive love? Hmm. 
Oh, I am like a magnet of love because I want I want it very badly. <laughs> I take I take love wherever I can get it. Anyone who is kind to me, yeah, is is passing love on, and I love that. And I love that about myself because I am accepting and open to love from anyone, from whoever it is, even though they don't know they're doing it. That right. smile at the checkout counter, you know, that's kindness. And I take that as love. That's a show of love. And I think like that, that helps me carry on in my days, knowing that there is that kind of kindness and love and energy out there for me. Yes. And for my children. I love that. When do you feel the most love? Again, uh, this is just repetitive, but I feel most loved when I watch my husband and my children play. Aww, yeah. There is a there is a peace and a calm in knowing that this is something I'm part of. There's something I made. I mean, something that was part of creating, and I'm part of this little troop. And watching them play always makes me feel entirely in love. Oh, that's sweet. And where has love created a miracle in your life? My husband met me when I was in the crux of um, self-destruction. And he held my hand and he brought me through. And this is 10 years we've been together. And I think that was when love really was a miracle. I was... I was truly seriously thinking of killing myself. And then I met him and I, I just asked to the powers that be, I said, like, I don't know what I need right now, but if it is supposed to be, then please let it be easy. If it's not, please put obstacles in my way. And Mm -hmm. everything with him had always been easy. Mm. We fell in love easy and we were our life, our marriage between the two of us has been, has been easy. I don't want to jinx it or say that it's (laughs) going to be because I know. But yeah, but I think that was a miracle. I think I am here today a lot. Thanks a lot to his love and perseverance and patience and devotion to me. Oh, that's sweet. That's like amazing. I think that's, that's like when you really feel like, okay, like something happened to me, but you're still like, that's where I feel like God is protecting you or like, life is here for you you know because i feel like people don't always see like okay something terrible happened to me but look at all the amazing things that have also happened to me and focusing on that so it's hard to see isn't it it is very hard to see it's very hard to see i think because we all focus on the negative all the time so when something positive happens we kind of brush it over as like a oh yeah that happened and yeah I think it's so important for everyone to for everyone to pay attention to those acts of kindness every day. Like when people smile at you, when people give you things or, you know, just all those little things that they matter. It totally matters. Yeah. Yeah. So how can people find you? When is your memoir coming out? So I'm working on it, hopefully sometime this year. Okay. But for the time being, their musings and um a taste of what you might find, a taste of my writing, my style of writing and uh, subjects I write about, all bipolar, post-trauma processing, my life, my family, and my life after rape. It's on my website, ameliazachary.com. 
which is Zachary is not spelled conventionally, Z-A-C-H-R-Y. And so I, I guess you'd put that on. Yeah, I'll put it. I'll put your website in the show notes. Yep. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Amelia, for being on the show. I think your strength and beauty and love is radiant. And I'm so glad that you're out in the world spreading this message. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. All right. Well, sending you lots of love. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and tune in on Tuesdays for new episodes. For more information about me, please follow me on Instagram at Corinne J. Camara and my website, CorinneCamara.com. Sending you lots of infinite love.